0: What I'd like to do today, uh, this is we're doing the second part of our Advent Conspiracy. Oh, uh, sprouts, yes. Little kids, uh, kindergarten and under, can go with Rochelle and Kiersey. Our little garden sprouts, they are. This is our week two of, of Advent, and uh, what we're calling this Advent Conspiracy. Um, and what I'd like to do, we're kind of going to introduce what may be some new concepts uh, to some of us. As we think about Christmas and how we think about Christmas, and so if, if possible, I'm going to try to watch the clock and allow for some uh, time for some dialogue afterwards and uh, questions and, and whatnot. Um, but uh, uh, this past week, I watched this documentary called "What Would Jesus Buy," which you can actually you can get it on Netflix. just stream it. You know, it's one of the, their uh, online videos and watch it. It's really it's kind of entertain. It's very entertaining. Uh, But a couple couple of the things in that documentary that just were haunting to me, one, uh, this woman uh, orders credit cards, and uh, before the credit cards actually arrive in the mail, she's already maxed them out for Christmas shopping. She's already maxed out her credit cards for Christmas before they even arrive in the mail. And her response to that is I want the ki- my kids to have what I never could have myself. And so I love, you know, so she loves her children. And the way that she shows the love to her kids is to buy as much as she possibly can for them. Another guy, his name was Michael, is Michael, was buying the new PlayStation 3 when they first came out. And I believe he had two of them in his in his hands. And as he's making his way to the register, some, someone else who wants the PS3s, shoots him in the chest with a shotgun. All right? Now, this guy's lying on the ground, and he's coughing up blood. And what does he say to the worker in the store right there? He says, get my wallet out of my pocket and pay for these. I mean, like, what, what greater love than a father who lays down his life to buy something for his children, right? I mean, that's kind of like our hero moment right there in our in our culture. And, you know, I mean, we kind of chuckle at that, and those are definitely sort of extremes, if you would, but they definitely, at the same time, communicate to us something that's going on, I think, in our world, something that's very dangerous, and it actually has to do with the, the way that we actually love people and the, the way um, our feelings... Uh, Uh, can can I guess uh, come across to others and what they can cause us to do uh, in our own lives and uh, and I don't know I guess the question that I ask is like so how can we make sure that we don't fall into that you know and I I would say none of us in the room would be that um, crazy although maybe some of you are that crazy maybe maybe you're even covering up a bullet wind this morning I don't know maybe you're one of those people but how do, we, how do we prevent ourselves from, from being sucked in and, uh, and, and just believing that everything is about uh, stuff and, and love is about buying something for someone else? And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at Matthew chapter 2, which, which was already read this morning. If you guys could turn there in the Bible, uh, in your Bible, to Matthew chapter 2. And it's this story of Christmas. Essentially, it's the beginning of Jesus' life. Matthew chapter two, uh, verse verse one. And Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod. And that's Herod is, is a significant element to this story. All right, so just kind of keep that in mind as we as we read through this. Herod is is an important factor. Uh, magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Now the fact that Herod was disturbed by this makes a lot of sense when we think about what's going on in this context in first century, Second Temple Israel. Herod was this we're, we're going to talk about it about him in just a little bit, so I'm not going to say too much right now, but he had this title King of the Jews. And the wild thing was Herod wasn't even a Jew himself. His father had converted to Judaism, but he was not a Jew. And so when he comes when some, someone comes along and says that, that the king of the Jews has been born, And king of the Jews had like very deep and significant theological meaning in uh, the the Jewish culture. All the way back in the Jewish scriptures where they're prophesying and looking forward towards this coming Christ who will be the king of the Jews. And so so granted then when, when Herod hears this, that the king of the Jews has been born. He's already very power hungry. And he, w- he wants to keep his power. He wants to keep his throne. And so he's greatly disturbed by this. And so this is what he does. He gathers together the rabbis and the priests. He brings them, brings them together, and he has this meeting with them. And he says, he asks them, okay, so where is the Christ supposed to be born? Because, again, he's not a Jew, so he doesn't really know the, even know the Jewish scriptures. So he's asking them, tell me where the Christ is supposed to be born. And they tell him that the Christ is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And so this is what uh, Herod then does. Uh, look at verse 8. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star, the, the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed on coming to the house. They saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, of incense, and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So they're actually warned, the the Magi, the wise men are actually warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. Then look at the next verse, in verse 13. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream as well. The angel says, get up. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Now why would Herod want to kill kill the child? Verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, when he realized that he's been duped by the wise men, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and in its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. So Herod puts out this order. Every child in this age bracket, two and under, I want to have killed in in Bethlehem and possibly in the surrounding areas. And while we think that might be a uh, just kind of a wild and crazy thing, Herod killed his own children. step, or uh, mother-in-law, killed his his own sons, his own siblings, as a way to protect his power. So anybody who would present a threat to Herod and to his power, he would slaughter them. And he was known as someone who murdered his own family and his rabbis, and, and rabbis, which, by the way, Herod was so hated by by the Jewish people. Because, again, he's He's taking on this mantle, this very theological mantle of, of king of the Jews, and yet he's this tyrant. I mean, for them to go visit Herod would be like somebody back in the day going to visit Hitler or Saddam Hussein or some, some tyrant who's hanging on to every bit of power that they can hang on to. And uh, and he was hated. He was so hated that on the day he died, he actually uh, had... had all of the, mo- the most popular rabbis gathered together. And he ordered that, uh, when he was on his death, but he ordered that uh, the moment he dies, he wants to have all of these rabbis slaughtered to ensure that there will be mourning on the day of his death. I mean, this is just the person of Herod the Great. And so he or- puts his order out, kill all of the children, two and under, and then uh, it finishes up in verse 19. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. And so now the Herod's kingdom is passed on to his three sons. He divides the kingdom up into three different territories. And they choose to return to the territory of Herod Antipas, which is Galilee. And so they go back into Israel. Now Herod is a, like I said, he's a significant backdrop for this story of, of Christmas. I mean, if we think about it, this is, the, this is the world that Jesus was born into. This kind of tyranny, this kind of empire. This, this uh, uh, leader who is so insecure with his own leadership and with his own power, and so power hungry that he will do anything and kill anyone who gets in his way. Now, as terrible as Herod sounds, from us kind of in our uh, day and age now, looking back, the reality is this. If we were living during this time period in Second Temple Israel, which is what kind of historians call this era, if we were living in Second Temple, Temple Israel, we would have most likely, you and I, have been impressed with Herod. We would have been impressed with him. I mean, if, his his leadership skills, his ability to network. When Rome came in and took over Jerusalem, Herod was able to, to, to kiss up to the right people. He knew who, who the movers and the shakers were to where when they took over, he, he actually asked if he could take on this mantle of king of the Jews and be over Jerusalem. And they granted it to him. And so he's just, he has this amazing political persuasion, uh, an amazing personality, a great networker, and very powerful. And then he began doing, like, amazing things. Like, he brought in uh, water development into Jerusalem. Um, He built fortresses, Masada and Herodium. He built the city Caesarea Maritima, he, uh, his most significant achievement is uh, Herod's Temple. You familiar with Herod's Temple? What he did, again, this is why, why we call this second temple era, uh, the Second Temple Era is, do you guys remember Nehemiah, the story of Nehemiah? We went through that about six months ago or eight months ago, something like that. Uh, Nehemiah went in after the first temple was destroyed, and Nehemiah rebuilt the wall around the city of Jerusalem, and then Ezra came and rebuilt the temple. And so they call this era the second temple uh, era of Israel. So Herod comes in, puts, he's put into place by Rome, the, the great empire of Rome, put into place over Jerusalem, given the title King of the Jews. And Herod looks at the temple and he says, that's not big enough. It's not beautiful enough. And so he supersizes the temple, he blows out the walls he expands the floor plan. I mean, we can, like, go back and, and see the uh, instructions that God gave to, on, on how to build the temple. Herod said, that's not good enough. I've got a better idea. I've, like, I've got a more glorious temple than God himself even had in mind. God's, God, God's uh, you know, this is, he's kind of an old school architect. Let's bring in the new school. Let's blow it up. And it was, And so he actually leveled the, the temple that was there and, and rebuilt this more glorious and more magnificent temple. We would have been impressed with him. This was the place to go, I mean, to, to, to be able to, to make this journey and see this glorious, magnificent, huge, beautiful temple built for the glory of God, right? And, and you don't even ha- you don't even have to bring your own sacrifice anymore because when you get to the temple, Herod has provided sacrifices for you to buy. How convenient! You don't even have to go out and find your own little bird. We've got them already, and, and, and they're the best. They're the first fruit. Just come and buy our sacrifices. This became a lucrative thing for Herod and for the for the authorities. But it was extremely impressive, and nobody was like really standing up against this, other than the fact they didn't like the fact that Herod was the tyrant. The Jews didn't like that. Everyone else, this is is extraordinary. What a wonderful idea. And here's the reality, and this is how uh, Rick McKinley says it. He says, Herod is alive in our culture today. And he's very impressive. Herod is alive in our culture today, and he's very impressive. We don't live under like this physical evil empire. There is no physical person ruling and reigning, dominating as a tyrant. But the empire that we live in is, is uh, almost darker than that. It's quieter than that. It's a little, more, it's a little bit more of a secret. And, and I would submit that it's probably more terrible. It's more destructive. And and what this is, what this empire is that we live in, is an empire of consumerism, an empire of consumption, which is extremely impressive. I mean, how can we not be impressed when we see all of the grand lights in these? Massive, beautiful shopping malls that are built, and you walk through and and you know the new styles come out and they're hanging on the racks. How can we not be impressed with this? It's beautiful, it's amazing. You know, and then the the iPad Pod phone comes out with a million gigabytes of memory. How can we not be impressed? This is phenomenal. It's extremely impressive, and it's extremely hard to ignore. We can't get around it. We try, you know. We try to look the other way, and we just can't. It's like it's in our face, all the, all the time. The marketers, you know. And, and then here's the worst part about it. And this is the I think what what can be so dangerous and so evil about the empire that we live in is this: is we can develop a misunderstanding of what it means to love someone, what it means to be whole, what it means to be loved. Because every kiss begins with K, right? <laughs> and so we have to buy it. Because if I really love her, you know, if I really love my kids, how can I say no? You know, in, in other countries, it's illegal to, to market to 12 years old and under, to children 12 and, 12 and under. It's illegal. In our country, we spend $12 billion a year marketing to kids 12 and under. Why? Why? Because if they want it, if we can get the children to want it, the parents love the children, how can they tell them no? How can they look in their face, it's only $5, and they really want it. How can we say no? And so we live in this culture then where where, uh, this Empire rather that that can confuse um, confuse us at our very core it can it can begin uh, to make us believe this lie that love either can be bought or can best be shown uh, through spending and guys I Don't think that this is just our natural state. Like, I don't think we're just human beings, and this is just the way we naturally gravitate. You know, we we naturally think, oh, here's Christmas time. How can I best show my love to my family? I'm going to spend a ton of money on them. I don't think that's just our – I don't think that's really us. But I really believe that we've been sold that idea through the marketing We, the empire, quote unquote, if you would, has been very intentional about selling us this lie. And so then the question is, how can we keep from bowing down to that? How can we keep from from being consumed with consumption and and falling into into this and believing this lie, especially at Christmas time. And this is something that transcends Christmas. It's, a, it's the whole 365 days a year sort of deal. But we feel it most at Christmas time. It's so what the better, what better time to address it. Now, let's turn to Luke chapter 23, if you would. Uh, an easy answer for this question how can we keep from falling into this, from believing this lie? The easiest answer is to follow Jesus, right? So what I want to do, I want to show you two different passages really quickly here, and and I think that we can see how Jesus sort of um, confronted the empire, if you would, and I think we can possibly follow him in the same way. So look at Luke uh, chapter twenty-two, Rev twenty-two. Yeah, I'm sorry, uh, verse. Actually, back up, uh, Luke nineteen. <laughs> I mean, Luke 13, no, Luke 19. Yeah, that's it. Verse 45. When, when he entered the temple area, he began driving out those who were selling. So Jesus goes to the temple, this magnificent and glorious temple. And remember, I mean, like thousands and thousands and thousands of people would descend upon this temple to see it, to be there, to, to be in the excitement of it. Uh, so Jesus comes, like everyone else, um, But while he's there, he begins to drive out those that are selling. These people who have set up these stands under the authority uh, of, of Herod. And they're literally selling their sacrifices. Just come and buy one from us. Jesus comes in and he is not impressed. He's not impressed. Now, think about this. Why would Jesus be impressed? I mean, here's God's plan and idea for the, uh, for the temple, right? Herod doesn't like it, blows it up, supersizes it, makes it bigger. Jesus isn't impressed. And then, now look over to uh, chapter 23. This is the moment in the Gospels when the king of the Jews and the false king of the Jews which is Herod Antipas at this time, it's Herod the Great's son, meet. This is like, this is this pivotal moment where the two worlds actually come together and Jesus stands before Herod. In verse 8, when Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform some miracle. So here's Jesus standing before Herod, and he's like, you know, do something, dance for me, sing for me, do a miracle, turn some water into wine, you know, entertain me. And this was Jesus' response to that. Um, He he plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave no answer. He ignored Herod. He ignored him. He didn't bow to his wishes. He didn't listen to him. He didn't even give him, give, him, give him an answer. He didn't pick it. He didn't hold up signs. He just simply ignored Herod. So how can we then follow Jesus In confronting the Herod of our day. The Herod which, by the way, uh, supersizes Jesus. Here is this Messiah, this Christ, who, who, who has come to die. To suffer and die for the sins of mankind and lived a homeless life and walked around speaking and preaching, teaching people the kingdom of God. It wasn't good enough for Herod, and Herod supersized him into Christmas, into something larger, something bigger. What if we can make it nicer? What if we can make it, I mean, what if we can make the manger scene feel more comfortable? What if we can make Jesus just a nice element, a nice decoration during the Christmas season? What if we can use Jesus in our marketing? What if we can sell him and make money off of him? How do we confront this? Two ways. Number one, we're not impressed. We see through it. The, we, we, we see the ads. We see the new styles. We see the marketing. We see the iPad, pod, phone. And we're just not impressed anymore. We're not impressed. And number two, so we're not impressed. Number two, we ignore it. Instead of going out, instead of caving into that and bowing and and, and uh finding the mall to be our worship center, or Walmart, or any other place that you might shop. Instead of bowing down to this and being consumed by it, we just simply ignore it. And we ignore these subtle little lies which tell us that the best way to love our family members, our friends, is to buy. We ignore it, and we say, no, I think I can love them in a greater way. I think they probably would rather just me spend time with them. To do something creative for them. To take them somewhere. To have a meal with them. To just have a quiet evening with them. Now, it's easy, I think, for us to sort of... uh, look at this and say, yeah, okay, impress. Don't be impressed. Ignore it. But the reality is, is we, we might still say, yes, but this is the world we live in. This is the world I've been brought up in. I mean, all I know is, is shopping. All I know is spending. It's all I know. Jesus uh, was living for an entirely different kingdom. How was it that Jesus could simply... Be unimpressed. How was it that he could ignore? It's because for Jesus, he came. This is, this, this is the story of Christmas. Jesus came into this world. God became flesh, the incarnation, and dwelt among us. And so Jesus, Jesus is here. He's living here. Uh, he, he, he's come to take on this mantle of King of, this Jew, King of the Jews, the mantle of Christ, of Messiah, and to die for the sins of this world. And to save us from consumption. To save us from greed. To save us from misunderstandings of love. And at the root, to save us from sin. I mean, the very core of, of why everything is tweaked and, and why things don't seem to work right. And why we can't even think straight about how we love someone. He's come to rescue us from that and to save us from that. So why would he be impressed by Herod? Of course he can ignore Herod, because that's not why he's here. And so for us then, to to embody the life of Jesus and and to fall into his forgiveness, into his grace, and then to be absorbed with his way of thinking and his way of life, and to live not for this kingdom and not for this culture, not for this world, and not for Herod, but to live for an entirely different kingdom, it just changes the game. And, you know, the convicting thing for me, I mean, really, any time I speak is the reality is you guys won't remember most of my sermons. You won't remember this. You may remember it now that I'm saying you won't remember it. But if I didn't say this, you won't remember it. But what you will remember is uh, my life. You know, 15 years down the road, you won't know hundreds of sermons of mine. But you might know me. And so the convicting thing for me then is, am I too easily impressed? Am I too easily impressed by, by the, the uh, Herod around me? Can I ignore these lies that I'm, I'm being told? And really at the core Is the gospel alive in me? And that's the question I ask you guys. Can can you be unimpressed? Can you, I mean, the greatest thing in the world comes out this Christmas. I don't know what it is, but I'm sure it will. And when you see it and you get to play with it and and you wear it or whatever, can you just simply be unimpressed? And say, you know, I think I can see through this. I mean, on a very, like, short-term scale, I I, I think I can, from history, from my own little bit of life, I I can know that in two or three years from now, this isn't going to look that great. I mean, so can can we at least admit to that? Then even beyond that, a a greater recognition is, is to recognize that we are living for a different kingdom altogether. Can we simply be unimpressed because Jesus is so alive in our life? Because the kingdom of God is so alive in our life, and our greatest desire is not to buy. Our greatest desire is to give that kind of life to our friends, to our family, to our neighbors, to the world. And can we simply ignore it? Not listen to its claims. Not listen to the marketers. Just ignore it. I mean, is someone here uh, so consumed with all of this that that you know, uh, maybe even the last week of Christmas shopping has been so hard for you, as you're so impressed by everything? And, and the reality is, is is as you're perusing the mall or looking at the ads, uh, you want to be thinking of others, but the reality is, is like, just man, like I would love for somebody to buy this for me. <laughs> this is awesome. Right? Is someone here too easily impressed with the empire? We can't see through it. Is someone here unable to ignore the claims? And you truly believe that this is the best way to love. What we're doing throughout at the Advent season, there's four kind of parts to, to this Advent conspiracy. And the part we're focusing on today, if you have it picked up, is simply spending less. And I'm not saying that spending is, is wrong. Um, I mean, the water that, that Herod brought into Jerusalem wasn't wrong. But bowing our knee at the shopping gods, the marketers... I mean, what, what if we could spend less? What if we could say, okay, you know, last year I spent, I'm just going to say a number, $1,000 on Christmas. I'm specifically going to cut that in half this year. I'm going to spend 500 And instead of going into $250 of debt, I'm not going to spend that 250 Then that remaining extra $250, i am going to use that to, to give, to give it away. So what we're going to be doing as, as an opportunity for, for you to change the world, I mean, the whole premise of this is that the first Christmas changed the world. Why don't Christmases still change the world? And we think they can. So that's why we focus this on Christmas. Because I believe that even on a very small level, as we're a small developing community, that we can literally make a difference in our community and in our city and around the world as a result of Christmas time. So what we've got going on this year is we're going to be focusing on human trafficking, which has been on the hearts of a lot of you guys, I know. God's definitely, I think, been speaking to us in various ways. And so uh, uh, a couple of us who have been looking into some human trafficking organizations chose a a group called YANA. They're actually a local human trafficking organization that that fights trafficking right here in Baltimore. And so we're going to be partnering with them uh, this year and one of the ways we're going to be doing that is we have the advent offering and again this isn't i don't want you guys to feel like oh man you know now in addition to my shopping list now I'm being told to give an advent offering that's not what it's about what it's about is simply this is as you spend less is it possible for you to give more and if that's a, if that's a possibility then give some of what you would normally spend uh we're going to we're going to collect it t- together and half of it is going to go to yana and uh the other half is going to stay right here in this neighborhood, and we're going to decide in January how we're going to use it. Last year we bought groceries for families. Um, but the reality is this. Are you guys familiar with the term Eucharist? I mean, we, we do the Eucharist every Sunday uh, with communion. Eucharist means good gift. Eucharist, good gift. Jesus was the Eucharist to the world. Jesus is our Eucharist. He is our good gift. And do you know who Jesus has commissioned to be the Eucharist to the world around us? You. We, being the body of Christ, have been commissioned to literally be the good gift to the world around us. So is it possible, then, that we can incarnate Jesus into this community and into this city over the next three or four weeks and into into 2011? Is that possible? And I believe it is. So we're going to pray, and um, then I want to just have a couple minutes of dialogue and, uh, and questions. Although we will uh, we'll actually take the Eucharist to, together before we do that. So can we all stand?